0: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps, and I'm joined in the studio this evening by Brian Hugh. Thanks for having me. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing angry words over Chinese military manoeuvres near Taiwan, William Lai's return to Taiwan from a trip to Washington, D.C., the KMT leadership hopefuls outlining their policy platforms, and WeCare Care Shung announcing that its recall petition has gained more signatures than needed. But we'll begin where we have been beginning for too many weeks now, that being the latest coronavirus news from here in Taiwan. Now, the government has now banned entry to the children of Taiwanese or Chinese nationals who only hold Chinese passports. And that move was a reversal of a previous ruling which said that children of Taiwanese and or their Chinese spouses who hold a special long-term residency permit or a long-term permit to visit relatives in Taiwan would be allowed to enter the country. Now, the reversal was made amid outcries that relatives of Chinese spouses could be allowed to enter Taiwan and receive medical treatment. Meanwhile, the Cabinet on Thursday announced a 60 billion NT plan aimed at tackling the potential impact of the coronavirus outbreak on the domestic economy. Now, according to the Cabinet, the one-year plan will begin by targeting the restaurant beverage, retail sales and trade fair sectors, as well as businesses in major business districts as well as traditional markets and night markets. Now all spending on some of the auxiliary measures will come from the 60 billion NT package and the cabinet is set to announce more ideas about this programme next week. Meanwhile an unknown number of Taiwanese experts were allowed to participate in an online forum with the World Health Organisation on Tuesday and Wednesday and the government was saying that their participation in the Global Research and Innovation Forum to mobilise international action in response to the coronavirus was made possible through direct conversation between it and the global health body. Now, apparently the five former health ministers also this week are urging the public to support a petition that they've started calling for Taiwan's admission to the World Health Organization. And Taipei Deputy Mayor Vivian Huang this week said the government is considering designating special shelters for foreign visitors to be quarantined in if necessary in order to contain the spread of the virus. Now, according to Huang, such shelters may become necessary due to the fact that the quarantine period for suspected cases of the virus is 14 days and visitors might have difficulty finding a suitable place to stay for that period. Now if you're curious where that move came from well apparently a couple of foreign visitors who were let into the country tried to stay at their hotel and they were of course denied being allowed to stay at the hotel and the Taipei city government then apparently had to step in and find them a place to live. Now in similar news Health Minister Chen Xie Chong was forced to respond to a proposal to use Turtle Island which is off the coast of County to quarantine people suspecting of having the virus. Now Chen dismissed the idea, saying it would only increase panic about the disease, would make the island a source of fear and its effectiveness would be very questionable. Now in completely different news about, about the coronavirus, the Criminal Investigation Bureau said this week that it's identified several individuals and one company suspecting of spreading rumours of imminent shortages of certain basic commodities. Now that announcement came amid panic buying of toilet tissue, diapers and sanitary napkins due to the coronavirus and law enforcement authorities have said that some of the rumors were spread by an employee of a direct sales company who used a line messaging account to get people to purchase more toilet paper sanitary napkins and kitchen towels from that said company so ross a lot to digest this week with coronavirus where would you like to begin with the government's 60 billion nt package to bail everybody out there you go what a nice place to begin
2: well, certainly policymakers and the public are concerned about the impact on the economy and that, that's understandable and that's something that Taiwan cannot be immune from. It, it's something that's going to occur regionally. Uh, Taiwan last year heading into the 2020 The economic outlook was positive, uh, especially compared to some other locations here in East Asia, including South Korea. Hong Kong was dealing with the fallout from the protests, as well as the trade dispute between the U.S. and China. Singapore was also a victim of the trade dispute. So Taiwan was looking pretty good. But, uh, of course, uh, the economic growth numbers are are in the process. And and we're going to see announcements in in the coming days and weeks, I think, by think tanks and universities and uh, uh, investment banks. They're going to lower the economic growth forecast for Taiwan, not the fault of policymakers, but they're going to try and address that. Uh, One aspect of of that worth watching, you you mentioned it, is how much of that money will be spent in the food and beverage industry, things related to tourism. Look, the, the Chinese tourist numbers were already down. Significantly, over the past few years, we all know the reasons for that: is China's decision to um, pretty much end uh, uh, the, the uh, individual travelers and heavily restrict group travel. So, how much of that sector will benefit from from the, these measures? We'll, we should you know, watch that. It, it is a sector that is that is suffering. I mean, the government talks about the increase in tourists from other areas in Asia, such as. Philippines, Vietnam, but we know they don't spend as much money as the Chinese tourists did, and those numbers are going to be falling too, obviously. And we have this issue with the Philippines prohibiting entry from Taiwan, and Taiwan is probably going to take some retaliatory measures there. Uh, so the tourism sector is definitely be hurt, be hurting. You know, two billion. U.S. dollars, you know, sixty billion NT. It might sound like a lot of money, but when you start um, spreading it around different sectors, um, one sector is not going to really get an appreciable amount of money. We should expect Gavin in a few weeks or months. We'll probably be talking about a supplementary package to the to to the sixty billion NT,
0: or more auxiliary packages. So Brian, of course, they said they're going to, with this package of sixty billion, they're going to hand out the like the night market coupons they handed out to boost the
1: tourism (laughs) sector last year. Um, That's right. And so one of the claims is that some of this money will be used to subsidize the industries that are suffering because of the coronavirus outbreak. And I don't really know how effective this will be. But I think another reason why the government is interested in doing this is because of the fact that there'll be a decline in tourism. And it's actually afraid of backlash, for example, from the tourist industry. Um, For example, there's always an issue about uh, Chinese tourism, that there's a claim that Taiwan's economy is dependent on Chinese tourists. But then when you have this disease and you block travel from China, what then? And so then the people that are, for example, involved in organizing group tours, which Chinese will be kind of upset um so there's that. That's an attempt to keep things happy. To uh, I think also just any government responding to a disease outbreak needs to have the uh, at least generate the appearance of a decisive, uh, effective uh, measures taken to 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 counter that. Because there is a lot of panic going around. There's quite a lot of public panic around the coronavirus, uh, whether in China or other countries in the region and internationally. And I think uh, there's also that's the domestic audience. There's, the government also needs to demonstrate to the international community that's doing enough to fight the coronavirus, particularly because of the fact that Taiwan is sometimes lumped in with Macau and. Hong Kong and China, Uh, sometimes there are companies who have issued uh, warnings on travel or restrictions on travel that include Taiwan in that list alongside uh, China, Macau and Hong Kong. And so, you know, the the government also needs to demonstrate that there is a difference that is taking concrete steps and that um, it will take steps that will are effective counter this.
2: Based on what you said, Gavin, instead of spending money on or giving out coupons to consumers like us to go to a night market, you know, maybe the government should be subsidizing the toilet paper, sanitary napkin, <laughs> tissue industries and make sure that their production lines are, are running 24-7.
0: I could do, but I was going to go back to Brian's decisive action with you there, Ross, because, of course, there was a um, bit of an undecisive action this week about um, the entry of children of Taiwanese or Chinese nationals who only hold Chinese passports.
2: You know, this, this is one of those unresolved issues. Of of China Taiwan relations, um, and, and we have multiple aspects of this. You know, whether it's the length of time it takes for for a spouse from China to get uh, a Taiwan ID or, or become a citizen. Uh, health care you know, qualifications to participate in the national health insurance for for spouses or children, even the interviews you know there 's always people who who complain that the immigration agency isn 't very friendly to the spouses when they do interviews to ensure the legitimacy of the marriage. We saw analogous issues over the last few years with students from China and, and whether they qualify for the health insurance or, or can they work when they graduate and all these these issues just an unresolved question. You know, it just shows the, the sensitivity of, of anything China-related. It also goes on the list of one of those policy decisions within the last three to four weeks where there's been, uh, I think it's fair to say, some meandering of, of the <laughs> what the policy is, uh, that it, it, it started out as being something and then it changed. And very often these changes have come quickly, within, say, 24 hours. So something's announced, and then 24 hours later uh, it, it's it's changed. Uh, another way to look at it is, and, and I don't say this to to be mean, and I think people certainly have the, the right in a democratic society like Taiwan to marry whoever they want. Um, there, this is not, in the current environment, a, a, a group that gets a lot of sympathy. It just it, I think the public has higher priorities. I mean, the public is not going to take up the cause of the individuals in Taiwan who have a spouse from China. So yes, it gets in the news. There's always some Kuomintang legislators who take an interest in this issue because the People married to mainland spouses tend to vote for the Guomindang. Um but amid uh, the, the, the current situation and, and all the other issues, whether it's the economy slowing, like we just talked about, or people uh, having difficulty buying masks and tissues, toilet paper, sanitary napkins the the treatment of, of mainland spouses or children, uh, uh, fortunately unfortunately, I just don't think this is an issue that resonates with the broader public unless you're, you you are someone who's directly impact, uh, feels the impact.
1: And I think uh, that's right. There has been debates about uh, particularly distribution of resources, for example, on how Taiwan should relate to China regarding that. Uh, There's some backlash from particularly members of the Pam Blue camp regarding the... Uh export ban that the Thai administration imposed on the export of medical masks, uh, with celebrities and politicians calling us cold-blooded, saying that Taiwan is abandoning China, and so forth. Uh, But going back, this is also a longer issue uh, regarding what happens for uh, Taiwanese, uh, that is ROC nationals, who also obtain PRC citizenship in some form, what happens to their children, and so forth. And so you have debates going back around 20 years about the possibly... uh, of Taiwanese citizens losing some rights because of the fact that they have become, uh, Chinese nationals. And this has become increasingly a political issue, I think, as time has gone by with closer, uh, with the economic rise of China and the political rise of China and closer economic and political ties between Taiwan and China as a result. And I think this is another manifestation of that issue. And so I don't expect these issues to be solved every, anytime soon. Uh, these are issues that go, uh, that do resonate with some sector of the public. And it will become a, a, issue between, I think, the pan blue and the pan green camps in basically the same ways we've seen it in the last 20 years. Right. And of course,
0: Ross, um taipei city government looking into quarantining foreign visitors in special shelters and an idea put forward to use turtle island as a quarantine base for people who have coronavirus
2: well t- to be frank with you gavin uh, you know we all know a lot of foreigners who live here in taiwan I-, I wish some of them could be quarantined periodically <laughs> you know, but might start with you there my friend
0: actually, I-, <laughs> I was gonna say i do get letters with your name on it, actually
2: uh, demanding to quarantine that guest final uh well uh, if they could provide some good food and Accommodations in the quarantine center might be appealing. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to a quiet place like Turtle Island? It would seem. As the health minister indicated, that doesn't seem like a very good idea uh, for for obvious reasons, such as stigmatizing Turtle Island. Uh, nobody seems to have asked uh, those who care about Turtle Island how they feel about it. Uh, it just seems to be a, relative, a rather random idea. Oh, let's just pick somewhere remote. It could be Turtle Island. It could be somewhere up in, in, in the mountain ranges of Taiwan uh, where, where there's less inhabited areas. I don't think it's a problem with, with foreigners. And you use this example of of you know, this, these visitors who uh, had trouble with their hotel. Um, I don't think this is a big problem, though. Uh, you, well, there's not a lot of travel going on right now, as we talked about. I mean, there's not a lot of tourism. There's not a lot of business travel. People getting on an airplane and coming to Taiwan, uh, who are foreigners, let's hope that if they're ill, they're not getting on, on an airplane and coming to Taiwan. I mean, that's just common sense, if at the airport they do uh, where there are temperature checks, and and there were temperature checks at the airport for years, and this is kind of like post-SARS, this has existed for a long time. Um, Sometimes it's random, it's not every passenger, but anyway, now, okay, everyone's getting their temperature checked. If somebody is stopped at the airport upon entry with a temperature, then of course the government does have the right to quarantine them. You know, maybe, Gavin, the, you know, quarantining every arrival would just be kind of silly, you know, people who don't have a temperature. So you have to ask uh you know, policymakers, what are you really talking about? Who are you targeting? If someone has a temperature when they come through the airport – and Brian, you just came back, right? So if yeah. you had a temperature, then I hope, you know, they would have – um taking you away in 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 chains and handcuffs and put 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 you know some kind of protective suits all around you um forcibly uh so it's it's not really clear what the problem was with these hotel with the hotel and those two foreigners you mentioned or or what the deputy mayor is really getting at or what she's what she's concerned about because as i said anyone who who does have a temperature should be should be quarantined and and uh we shouldn't be in a place where anyone who's entering Taiwan gets quarantined. I mean, that, that's just, if it doesn't have a temperature, that just makes no sense. Uh, yeah. Espe- sorry, sorry. Especially if they didn't go to China, you know, they don't have a recent travel history of being in China, Hong
1: Kong, or Macau. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that one of the issues maybe the government is afraid of is a situation occurring in Taiwan is similar to what occurred in, in China in which places people from places with high uh, amounts of coronavirus outbreaks, such as uh, Hubei or Wenzhou were being, uh, forcibly quarantined by the community, by panicked community members. They were literally being locked inside their apartments and chained in their apartments and things like that, like these kind of situations. Uh, because to my awareness, the current uh, quarantine regime uh, for people that are not do not have coronavirus symptoms but came from these places is actually very autonomous. That they, have to, they can pick the place where they self-quarantine themselves for 14 days. Uh, the local uh, Lijiang neighborhood or bureau chief comes by like twice a day. Uh, they have to install an app on their phones that, to monitor them. Um, but hope they are given not, a lot of... I hope it's not the Iowa caucus. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And so it's actually, it's very interesting that uh, people even compare Taiwan and China, that China is relying on very low-tech means of monitoring people, uh, just people actually being chained in homes. And Taiwan is using the high-tech so-called digital surveillance of the apps on the phones. Um, but this actually still does a lot, allow for a lot of autonomy for the... Uh, kind of people that are, are quarantined. And so I think there is, one on one hand, the fear that people will actually just try to get out of this, um, just kind of evade surveillance. Uh, but also then, B, I think there's also the fear that people, the community members will panic and overreact. I mean, just with we, the hoarding of toilet paper and medical masks, one observes already a lot of irrational behavior, uh, a lot of terror about this disease. And so this might also occur with people that are coming from these areas, even if they have no symptoms, even if this is just uh, the quarantine for 14 days, and after that, they should be free to do what they want. But yeah.
0: And, of course, Ross, the WHO and Taiwan's membership, of course, came up this week due to the online participation by several experts. We don't know how many experts and we don't know their names because apparently a non-disclosure agreement was signed between Taiwan and the WHO.
2: As it was with the other participants in this in this meeting. Uh Look, the issue is well known. It's not a new issue. China's position on this is very clear. China has not changed its position. Uh, you know, they've reiterated that the government of Taiwan, uh, whoever the government is, would have to accept the 92 consensus. The government, President Tsai was just reelected. They do not accept that. So China is not going to change its position. It's going to take an enormous amount of action by Thailand's friends around the world to, to change this. It doesn't look very likely. Of course, the government here is going to call this a breakthrough that that some experts from Taiwan have participated, but we have to keep in mind that experts from Taiwan have participated in WHO activities, um, technical discussions and things like that. They haven't been completely frozen out. And uh, as I've said many times on your show, Gavin, Taiwan hasn't really demonstrated that they're absence from the WHO has materially uh, changed Taiwan's ability to respond to to this crisis. Yes, it would be good to be a participant, uh, but they seem to be doing okay uh, you know, as far as the response. Yeah, there are these various issues we're, we're talking about on the show today, but it seems like the government um, has, has, has a reasonably good handle on things, and uh, the public feels that way as well. Recent polls have been very, very positive on the government's handling of the situation, so you have to ask, Gavin. You know, well, okay. Taiwan's absence from the WHO is, it re- is there is there really an impact on Taiwan's uh, ability to respond?
0: So, Brian, is there really an impact on Taiwan's ability to respond?
1: Uh, I think there is because of the fact that Taiwan is left out of information uh, sharing, for example, although there's always questions regarding the data that's provided by the Chinese government and then uh, regarding the sharing of medical resources. um, I mean, we saw this during the SARS outbreak, too, and I think it still is an issue. Uh, But it doesn't surprise me that eventually Taiwan was granted some observer status. This was a way of, of increasing pressure on Taiwan. Uh, but I think that, um, and and I think the time machine will try to sell this as another success in expanding Taiwan's international space. That there are, are countries such as the U.S. or the U.K. or EU countries or uh, Australia that have spoken on Taiwan's behalf to that Taiwan should be allowed observer status regarding this case. Um, but overall, I don't think the situation will change. I mean, there will still be just the continued pressure on Taiwan from China in international organizations such as the WHO or the ICAO and so forth.
0: Right, moving on. And the Mainland Affairs Council this week took time to talk about other issues apart from the coronavirus when it announced that it issued a protest to Beijing after several of its military aircraft crossed the median line of the Taiwan Strait this Monday. Now, that incursion came a day after the Air Force scrambled F-16 fighter jets on Sunday to monitor the movement of Chinese aircraft that circled half of Taiwan that morning. Now, defence officials here in Taiwan are describing the Chinese flights as being long-distance training missions. Premier Su Cheng Chang and Beijing for carrying out the military exercises, saying they are being viewed with disgust in Taiwan. And the Premier said that China should be focused solely on tackling the coronavirus outbreak and not seeking to disrupt regional peace. Now, the US State Department also called on Beijing to cease using its military to intimidate Taiwan, and it called on Beijing, of course, once again, to resume dialogue with the government in Taipei. So, Ross, incursions as, basically, both countries are trying to deal with the coronavirus. It-
2: I'm not sure about the linkage of the issue. I mean, it sells well politically in Taiwan for Taiwan's government to make that linkage. But uh, the the idea that, that China would cease its threatening activities with regard to Taiwan, that it would cease its military exercises, and something like this was, was most likely planned long in advance, um, didn't wake up on Sunday morning and decide to do it, and, and, and then on Monday night say, well, that went so well, let's do it again tomorrow. Um, Probably is not how it was planned at at, at the PLA uh, highest levels or uh, obviously with Xi Jinping's input because something like this doesn't occur without Xi Jinping's input. Uh, so... The, the the linkage, again, yeah, you could sell that well, to, to use Brian's words, sell it politically here in Taiwan. Uh, but uh, the idea that China would stop doing that or or, or we brought in this conversation and say well, all the things that China has been doing the last few years and are c- continue to do um, to, to as people here like to say, bully Taiwan, um, whether it's military exercises or uh, Peeling away another country that currently has diplomatic relations with taiwan that 's not going to stop that it's not i mean it 's not going to stop anyway but it 's not going to stop because of the coronavirus and to think that it would really is is preposterous so again, yeah, you could sell that well domestically politically but um, you, you know, you say these things, and like, like it's not going to get China to stop doing it. So, uh, for for domestic audience, okay, that's a fair message. But to to say it to China, they're they're probably laughing at you. I mean, you might as well just respond with your own military exercises and, and show that you have your own military capability, and and don't be so reactive. Uh, you know, frankly, Gavin, they were reactive here, right? The Taiwan Air Force reacts to something. Oh, oh, wow. They're coming really close to Taiwan. We better scramble. They've crossed the center line. We better scramble a response. And so I I think uh, instead of only focusing on oh China, you know they're so they're such bullies, we also have to be looking at questions of Taiwan's military preparedness and and whether they are uh, prepared. Did they know about this in advance? Yes. Then why didn't they take some other action? If they didn't know about this in advance, why not? Um, And what needs to be addressed? And not all this could be discussed publicly, obviously. Uh, But yeah, okay, we could say, China, you're awful for doing this. Uh, We say you're awful for doing it during coronavirus. Uh, But uh, I think there's some other really important issues that actually have gotten lost in the conversation over the past few days.
1: Um, yeah, so that's right. I think that just uh, it is framed by the Tsai station as a way to attack China. For example, claiming that this is a waste of resources and that China has better things to do. Uh, I also do really enjoy the internet meme circulating of the Taiwanese F sixteen asking the Chinese bomber like Why have you come here? And the bomber replies, Do you have any masks? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do enjoy that, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, apart from that, it probably must, has much more to do with the Tsai administration's election victory the last month, and that's why I think you have seen this increase in pressure from China on Taiwan regarding, for example, two days of these encirclement operations or the fact that uh, China's applying pressure to East Watini to switch recognition from the ROC to the PRC at this juncture. It has much more to do with the election last month than it was probably planned regarding that as a way to pressure Taiwan, but also to show the international community that China still views this as an important issue. Um, during the coronavirus outbreak, this takes on new dimensions, particularly because of the, for example, U.S.-China trade talks and the fact that China is dealing with the coronavirus, this might present a kind of weaker face. But I do think it actually is just kind of has more to do with the election last month and continued efforts to pressure um, Taiwan by China.
2: Wow. Was that election only last month, Brian? Seems yeah, like time
1: was- Yeah,
0: I
2: you know. We've had a virus outbreak. We had a lunar new year.
0: Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and it was also a welcome back on Monday of this week for Vice President-elect William Lai, following his five-day trip to the United States. Now, speaking to reporters on arriving at Taoyuan International Airport, Lai expressed his happiness at being able to attend the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., and he thanked the people who voiced support for his U.S. trip. Now, along with attending the breakfast, Lai also met with officials at the White House National Security Council, attended the International Religious Freedom Roundtable, and held talks with U.S. Senator Marco Rubio during the visit to the US Capitol. However, it wasn't all such good news as Washington Post columnist Josh Rogan criticised the US State Department on Tuesday for excluding Taiwan from the Religious Freedom Alliance in an article which was published by said newspaper. And he also claimed that Taiwan was omitted from the alliance due to pressure from China. But that criticism went out the window quite shortly thereafter, however, after the Ministry of Foreign Affairs announced that Taiwan has in fact been invited to join the alliance as an and the foreign ministry said that Taiwan received that invitation before Rogan's column was published. So there you go, Ross. Obviously, Mister Live jets off to Washington, goes to breakfast. What do they eat at that breakfast? Do they have like bacon and sausages and things or anything? You know, I mean, well, there
2: there'd ha- have to be foods that accommodate the dietary restrictions of the various religions represented at at this uh, events and. and uh, there are some people who might not be able to eat uh, the things you just mentioned, Gavin. So you need to be a little more sensitive to to the diverse groups of religions that would attend.
0: You're saying that have as well,
2: then. <laughs> I, let's hope. Uh, I, you know, this is a, this is an important event for evangelical organizations in the United States. It's an event that predated the Trump administration, um, but arguably it's taken on greater importance in the Trump administration because of uh, President Trump's support from evangelical voters uh, no one frankly is going to remember who attended from overseas it's just really not that that big a deal i mean nobody in the united states like people uh, aren't really talking about it it gets in the news cycle on the day of the event but then uh, pretty much the the broader public forgets about it so for the american public the fact that the vice president elect of of the republic of china and taiwan was there is is fairly uh, irrelevant Uh, The government here, they love to get those things they could call a breakthrough. So we'll be hearing uh, for a while. What a breakthrough! The vice president-elect went to Washington, D.C. But what did he order for breakfast? uh, Well, hopefully, uh, and I don't say this to be mean, Gavin, but hopefully he spent less time eating and more time circulating at the event and and introducing himself. And, And... Introducing himself, here's the important thing, Gavin. Introducing himself to people he didn't already know. So you mentioned Marco Rubio, the senator from Taiwan. I'm sorry, the senator from Florida, who who often um, you know sends out tweets and has been a very vociferous supporter of Taiwan. As well as the protesters in Hong Kong, so meeting Marco Rubio, it's like okay, you're you're meeting someone who's already a big supporter of Taiwan. I mean, I would I would much rather hear you say or hear you tell us who he met that is is a new friend uh, or a potential new friend to Taiwan, whether it's from U.S. politics or um, the other foreign dignitaries who are attending this event. You know, just going to Washington and seeing your your old friends your good friends like like senator rubio that's not a breakthrough frankly because senator rubio is, is a big supporter of taiwan anyway uh but uh yeah we'll hear this is a breakthrough uh the public in taiwan i don't think they care too much about this because they just elected tai and, and lai so you know lai could have stayed home in taipei and people would have still been like we love you they i mean they you know as brian said a few minutes ago the election was only last month so we're certainly still in that post election honeymoon period uh seems just just seems more about uh you know getting some pr saying oh we went to washington it's a big breakthrough
1: uh that's right and so the time station will sell this as a success diplomatically but it is more or less the same uh live met with rubio and ted yoho and other traditional Republican allies of, of Taiwan, but these are already people that support Taiwan. And so I don't think there's a substantive difference. Uh, what I think is interesting is that this is an attempt by Taiwan to get into kind of an alliance with the United States, which is, is sometimes difficult because of Taiwan's lack of official diplomatic recognition and so forth. So it just comes out of a series of longer efforts by the Pan Green camp. So in March uh, 2016, Annette Liu organized a conference on religious freedom with Bob Fu, the uh, president and founder of China Aid, which is the – he was the person that hosted Lai and invited him to the National Prayer Breakfast. And China Aid is an organization that helps Christians in China. And so then after that, in 2018, uh, the Trump administration announced plans to kind of uh, – it organized a conference on International Freedom of Religion, which uh, then, uh, which the ambassador uh, for Taiwan to the U.S. representative, whatever, was invited to. And then following up on that, Taiwan created a position for an ambassador for a re- a religion, promoting freedom of religion, which was something that was called for by that conference. And the uh, representative Stanley Kao was invited again a second time. And there was also a conference held in uh, Xinzhu in uh, last year, in which itch, in which uh, uh, the head of AIT spoke at, and so this is part of an effort to kind of get into this, uh, create this kind of tie with the U.S. on the basis of promoting religious freedom, and so it comes up to this alliance now, and that's why there was this controversy because it seemed like those efforts had been suddenly but not been successful. Um, it's a question to me whether that is actually just a kind of last minute reversal that, you know, after this criticism that Taiwan excluded, you're now saying that Taiwan has observer status. Because the article claimed that uh, Lai was not invited to the, the, uh, the meal the, 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 celebrating the launch of this alliance and that Taiwan had been uh, considered for observer status and said it would get that. But then it was suddenly denied the last minute. And so it's a question. But I think, uh, yeah.
0: So the International Religious Freedom Roundtable, Ross, and Taiwan is now an observer with the 26 other countries or 27, including America
2: no one cares. I, you know, I, I mean that just that might sound rude and it, maybe it's not what some of the listeners want to hear but you know Brian just described all these various forums and and that's just on the Taiwan side and and the yes the Trump administration ha- has put a lot of effort into religious freedom issues the ambassador for re- religious freedom Sam Brownback was here in Taipei last March uh but people are looking to the US to do this stuff. They're they're probably not looking for those other 26 countries or jurisdictions or – however you want to describe them if they're not all internationally recognized or UN members such as the ROC on Taiwan uh so you know, do do people around the world are they looking for those other countries to take any kind of role or leadership in this no they're looking for the united states to do this so i, I don't think you know people around asia or further afield are are, are saying Wow, so glad Taiwan is is one of the twenty seven now. Woo, you know, big, big, big change there. You know, big, big help to to these efforts. So uh, I, I would suspect we're we're not going to hear much about Taiwan's role uh, as an observer in this roundtable. It's just they're 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 on the list.
0: Okay, we'll move on to the next issue. Good idea, and we will move on to more political issues. That being former Taipei <laughs> Mayor Hao Long Bing and lawmaker Johnny Jung presented their KMT leadership policies on Wednesday as they prepare for the party's March 7th chairmanship by-election. Now, speaking prior to the presentations, Acting Party Chairman Ling Rong De described the upcoming ballot as being a huge step in the party's plans to push for reform, as it, in his words, has reached a point where reforms are necessary to ensure the future of the KMT. So, Brian, big debate between two people. We were expecting more than
1: two people but we ended up with two. And that was in itself somewhat surprising, particularly that Hungary didn't try to run for chair. Um, so this was between Hao Long being the former mayor of Taipei, who is 67, and Johnny Chang, uh, who is, is the legislator and is, is 47. And so it's been viewed as a generational conflict in some terms. But what's quite interesting to me is that during the debate, them primarily had the same ideas, actually, which were just that the KMT needs internally reform, it needs to win over young people, um, it needs to have a, a kind of, it, to sell its cross-strait policy better to Taiwanese public. And as a result, there was actually, it didn't seem like there was a substantive difference between any of the two. Both re- agreed on the need to reform the party to to change its pro-China image, uh, to win over young people, to build party loyalty, party identity, to use digital technologies, uh, particularly social media, as a way of outreaching to young people, and also to um, build stronger ties, actually, with civil society organizations that are capable of launching protests and social movements and things like that. Um, But then I actually don't see particularly a concrete vision as to how that should be done because these are kind of basic things which the kmt should realize that it needs to do i think going way back actually to electoral defeats in the past few years and so then i think it's really going to come down to a contest of personality between the two candidates
0: and of course ross brian mentioned they've got both the candidates were playing off the need young people in the kmt but of course long bing did seem to play that down somewhat when he did say that attitude ability and experience rather than age should come first
2: well he can't avoid the the issue, right? I mean, he is considerably older than than uh, uh, Zhang Qichen, Johnny Chang, his his opponent in, in this election. Uh, and it's just obvious. So if everybody is you know, talking heads, pundits, uh, party leaders, younger uh, party uh, activists. They're all saying, oh, you got to go younger. You got to go younger. This is a challenge for how long being? And uh, he had to come up with something to say in response to that. You know, so he's saying, yeah, reform and more youth. Oh, by the way, you know, age and experience are not such a bad thing either. So it's it's understandable he, he will say that. Uh whether this particular issue, you know, the age difference and you know, should should Johnny should 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 the people who are eligible to vote, the party members, should they select Johnny Chang just because he's much younger and represents a a next generation and how long being is more associated with a Previous, maybe outgoing generation of, of party leadership. Whether or not this is the issue on which the election turns, it might be a little bit too early to tell. You know, the election might might be based, or, or voter choices might be based on a variety of issues, which would include um, all the stuff we've just been talking about. Um, you know, Brian mentioning uh, social media and. and civil society relationships and ultimately policy. You know, what, what are the policies that the Dong has and are, is it better uh, than the DPP or other political parties? Uh, so this issue might just be one in the mix. Uh, uh, we still have a month to go, so it's a little too early to tell uh, w- what these two guys are going to be talking about in the coming days and weeks as they try to get uh, the votes of party members.
0: But This could be slightly overshadowed by the coronavirus, Brian, because of course, there was a call by the former KMT chairwoman, Hong Ju, to cancel the ballot until the coronavirus epidemic was under control.
1: Um, That's right. And there have also been calls from younger members within the party to postpone the election. I think they also believe that postponing the election on the basis of coronavirus would allow for more discussion and they would have more leverage in calls for reforming the party, actually. Uh, but this actually didn't really come up as an issue in the debate itself. It was much more general about party identity and electoral defeats and so forth. So it's to be questioned whether that will actually happen.
0: Right. And before we go this week, We Care Shung on Wednesday announced that it's collected enough signatures to move on to the next stage of its recall process to remove Mayor hang Yu from office. Now, We Care said that it collected over 237,000 signatures, and that's more than the 228,000 as required by the Civil Servants Election and Recall Act to move on to next said stage. However, the group says, despite hitting the minimum threshold, it's going to continue to a push to gather 300,000 signatures or more in support of its motion, and says that will ensure the threshold is met, even if city government officials are overly stringent when reviewing the recall petition. So, Ross, are we going good on I didn't actually expect them to get the numbers. To be honest with you, I expected that to fizzle out at about maybe 180,000. Well, shouldn't underestimate
2: the the strength of dislike for Hang Yu that has developed um, over the course of the presidential election and has carried over into the post-election period. And uh, this effort did begin pre-election, but, but they coincided and uh, they're, they're – there's a, at least the number of people who didn't vote for him in the fall of 2018. Uh, we know from data that Tsai Ing-wen did better than Hong guo in, in Kaohsiung. So even within those 14 months, it shifted. Uh, you know, voter preference within in the the city of Kaohsiung shifted against Hong goy uh, So we shouldn't be surprised that they exceeded the number. And uh, it sounds like they got far more. Than your expectation of 180 given that they're claiming they're claiming they got 300,000 uh but okay where do you go from here you're going to have the recall election you get rid of him he may run again uh in the future uh who who is the dpp or independent candidate going to be there, so there's a number of unknowns and well, what i think is worth watching as as this goes to the next stage is where that fizzle, or if that fizzle that you mentioned, Gavin, starts to appear. Because, yeah, I think you're right. This fizzle will appear. People might get a little exhausted from this, right? And and uh, part of this is also a function of Hong Yu's job performance day-to-day. And uh, he's only been back at work for about a month. Then it was Lunar New Year, so it was kind of a quiet period. You know, frankly, a lot of the coronavirus response is is... Outside the scope of municipal officials, it's really with the central government. Although, you can bet, Gavin, any one thing coronavirus-related that goes wrong in Gaussian, you know, like one person gets coronavirus— Han Yu is going to be at the receiving end of all the criticism, right, the media, the central government, DPP politicians at the local or the central government level. They're going to go after Han Go-Yu, as will the recall effort as well. So it's it, it, it's a very dangerous uh, place for him to be. Uh, but be that as it may, coronavirus response, first and foremost, it's not, it's not his responsibility central government. Uh, so he still has other issues he needs to deal with within the scope of being a mayor whether he could demonstrate to, to the public that he is a competent mayor... it's it's up to him. Um, He might not have enough time because this recall petition effort is is continuing to move forward.
0: And of course, Brian, Hangor, you did go to the cabinet meeting this week where he did lay out his plans to help Kaohsiung deal with the coronavirus.
1: Uh, That's right. And he has uh, generally been trying to keep a lower profile. He hasn't actually tried to start some kind of massive populist style campaign against this recall petition, for example. He's just trying to play the the regular politician that is doing his job and carrying out policy and, and so forth, which is actually kind of surprising to me. I also didn't think this petition would get so far Um, it's not surprising that they're trying to get more signatures because usually want to have a buffer in case they're invalidations but historically despite the ones being the ones that push for lowering the benchmarks for referendum and the referendum and recall votes uh, the pam green camp has usually not been successful with actually getting these measures done and so this is actually kind of surprising to me i think we'll just have to see how it turns out
0: and that's where we'll leave it here on taiwan this week and i've been joined in the studio today by brian hugh good night and ross feingold gavin i want to wish you a happy valentine's day Thank you. Please, uh, if any of our listeners have any letters they want to send in about quarantining one fine gold, please send them in. I shall (laughs) apply. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows.
1: Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget
0: to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.